All right, let's look at Psalm 42. It looks like it's on page 557. If you want to take the Bible in front of you and follow along, Psalm 42. Let's read this, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into it as well. We're going on a series through the Psalms. We'll do this through the end of the month and then transition to, uh, to a new series. So other people have been treating you to some of this songbook of the Old Testament, really the songbook of the Bible, and here's Psalm 42. This is, this is what we read. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roars of your roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And this is the word of God. Kids, I know you don't have cake kids, so do this for me if you, if you want to, or if you prefer to do this, even if you're not a kid. There's a little blank there in the notes to remember. If you want to draw a picture of this psalm or anything that you hear, or whatever happens to be going through your mind, then uh, feel free to do that at the end of the message. You know, today we have, a, we have a lunch. Come and join us. Make sure I see that picture. I'd love to see it if you're willing to share it. So you can, uh, you can work on that if, if you would like to do that. Well, I was thinking about songs. You know, this is a, the songbook of the Old Testament. If we were to talk about the top songs of particular eras, what might some of those be, or even top bands? If you think about decades, maybe if you're 10 and under here this morning, you know, what's one of your favorite songs, top songs of all time? What would it be? Itsy Bitsy Spider? Maybe. Mary Had a Little Lamb? Maybe with your top groups? I don't know. Anybody got an idea? Who are some of your top people? The Donut Man? I don't know if he's still around anymore. <laughs> no, what about 20 and under? If you're in that 20 and under crew, what, what would you say this is the top you know, artist, maybe, of that particular era. What's it going to be? Taylor Swift? Justin Bieber? Post Malone? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, Demi Lovato? Who knows? What about 30 and under? Is it Coldplay? Is it who is it? Who's a 30 and under? It's like, are you representing here? Nobody's in that category. Oh, Oswan, you're in a living in a dream world, baby. <laughs> Sorry, man. Don't worry. We'll get to your category soon. How about, how about 40 and under? Like what? 
Who? Usher. <laughs> Anybody? Who else? Who are like some of the top musicians or whatever? You too? Yeah, 40, 50 and under. Pearl Jam. 50 and under, if you're willing to go that far this morning. It might still be a U2. The Grateful Dead. CCR. I don't know. Who? Genesis. Right, that's good. That's very biblical. Journey. Right, so. Any, okay, how about 100 and under? <laughs> if you're in that next cat, what are some of the great? The Beatles. The Eagles, the Temptations, Gladys Knight and the Pips, who knows? Okay, so you've got all these different things. Now, the funny thing is you've just expressed something that reflects not only your generation, but your own culture, right? So, for example, let me tell you something. When I was in South India one time, and I, I closed my message by singing Amazing Grace with hundreds of pastors in rural South India, and I was expecting this, you know, group of people to sing with me. Amazing grace. Everybody now, how sweet. And nobody was singing with me. They'd never heard of the song, which may seem shocking to you, but actually there's a fresh move of God in different places that don't include hymns written in the 16th or 17th century by Europeans. Did you know that? There's new music being written in India all the time. And when you go over and start singing Chris Tomlin, they look at you like, what are you talking about? God's doing fresh things everywhere. But here's the deal. When we dip into the Psalms, the presumption, this is God's songbook for all people at all times, no matter what your age is. He says, this is the songbook I've given to you for all eternity to sing and to learn from and to reflect the glory of God and the complexities of what it means to be human no matter where you live, whether it's in India or China or Nepal or wherever, the United States, in whatever century, 21st, 2nd B.C. That's why when we dig into the Psalms, God is saying something contemporary, no matter where you are or who you are or what your background might be. When we dig into this, we're digging into the Word of God and to the things that He's given us to learn throughout all ages. And Psalm 42 is a psalm that talks a lot about what it means, or at least the desire that we ought to have to meet with God. And the first two verses, which we already sort of looked at, we see right from the beginning this ideal spiritual state. Here is the psalmist, actually the sons of Korah. So this isn't David, if you look at that text. This is written by a group of Levitical singers, people who were in charge, basically, of leading corporate music for God's gathered people. And they wrote some songs that, by what we call inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I mean, they had their own personality and experience but God superintended over the process to say this is going to be for my people for all generations and in this psalm they look in the first couple of verses about this spiritual thirst for God look what it says is the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you oh God what a graphic image an animal just thirsty you know that's the one thing they're looking for is to slake their thirst. And 
Here's a physical image then of a spiritual reality because he says, just like that animal desperate for some water, that's what my soul is like, the inmost part of my being that was created by you to be in connection with you is thirsting for your presence. I want to be connected to God on the deepest level. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And this isn't the God then who just wrote a psalm through people thousands of years ago, but he's the living God in all ages. He's interacting with his creation. Some people believe in deism. If you're somebody who's even a creationist, you might think God made the world and then just left it on its own, but not this psalmist. He says, no, he's the living God who's active, who's speaking, who continues to be involved in his creation. And you're one of those creations. And my soul, this psalmist says, the deepest part of my being is thirsting for the presence of God. Then he asks, of course, when can I go and meet with God? I mean, that's a natural question for thirsting. You're saying, when can I do this? Where's my next encounter with God? And this is the ideal spiritual state, right? Does this describe you 24-7? You're panting for God's presence. You'll do anything to go and to meet with God. And in fact, nothing else matters because you are so thirsty Everything else is a distraction. I just got to go and meet with God. I would consider that an ideal state. However, as we see and as we know, we don't usually or often or maybe ever, for some of us, feel like live in that. Or maybe it's a distant memory. Yeah, I remember when I was that desperate for God. And the psalmist is no stranger to that because here we see the present experience. There's a whole list of verses to talk about. First, this ideal situation, but how I'm really experiencing life now. In verse 3 and 10, for example, this psalmist is experiencing tremendous agony and tears. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. So some of you might, you know, be thinking about or wondering if Skyline Chili is present at the post-service lunch, you know. I mean, we need to eat, right? What is your food? For this person, the food was just tears. Have you ever been in that place where your soul is so desperate, you're so broken, whether it's because you've lost somebody, a profound loss in life, or you've disappointed somebody, or somebody's disappointed you, that you feel like you're just crying all the time? You, you are, this is, what, this is what loss is like, especially death. You, your food is your tears. It's all you're consuming. Sorrow. That's what this person's experiencing. Can't get beyond it. Can't, can't get over the hump there. The tears have been my food day and night. And look in verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. So there's real oppressors who are taunting. And he's feeling this deep and profound agony. Awful. If you've ever been through a, a car accident or something, and you know the physical pain that can be, your body can, some of you may experience chronic pain, and you know what this is like. You feel that agony. This is the internal agony as well. And why is it that he's experiencing this? Why the tears? Why the agony? Verse three, men say to me all day long, where's your God? 
In verse 11, 10, the same thing. My bones suffer moral agony. My foes taunt me, saying to me, where is your God? In other words, you said, I'm panting for this God. I have this desire, and yet he's not showing up right now. All my friends, all my enemies, certainly anyway here, are saying, yeah, you believe in that God? Where is he? How come you're experiencing such sorrow? How come things aren't going so well for you? I don't believe in this God. Where is this God? Look around. If this God were real, wouldn't you guys agree a little bit more on these things? Where's your God? Where is he? You know, those enemies, of course, here for, for the psalmist are probably real, real people. And we know, we know there's more than just that. I mean, the enemies, according to the Bible, or the world around us, the flesh, our own sin nature, and the devil. So you've got a real enemy whispering to you, where's your God? Especially when you're in the desert. You know, Satan did that to Jesus. Where's your, where's your dad? Where's your God? He's tempting him, right? And those enemies are, are certainly there. They're internal as well. Do you ever have moments when you're wondering, is, is God, is he really here? Is he real? Some, some of you may struggle in, in a way, even if you look at like mental health issues, you may struggle with enemies all the time whispering to you, where's your God? You wouldn't struggle with this if he were real. So you got this ideal spiritual state. I'm thirsty for God. And you have these real present experience enemies who are saying, yeah, where is he? And this psalmist is saying that. He's saying, where is God? They're, they're saying it. Now, is he, is he prone to ask the same thing of his own heart? I would say yes. In fact, in this psalm, we're going to see, he says, why have you forgotten me, God? So it's not just his enemies saying, where's your God? His own heart is saying, have you forgotten that I'm here? Are these people right? In verses 5, 6, and 11, then, you can see why. He's downcast at the core of his being. This is the refrain, if you just read the psalm one time through, that kind of comes up again and again. It spills over into the next psalm. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He's kind of answering his own question, isn't he, already? Because these people are taunting him, and he's feeling abandoned by God, but he's speaking to his own heart. This is self-talk. Why are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And he repeats it again. In verse 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? The core of his being, why so disturbed within me? Things aren't right. Ignatius of Loyola, uh, a church father, talks about consolation and desolation. So one of the things that Alex Aronis, my spiritual mentor, um, discusses as well. As you go through the course of, the, of your day, they're going to think things that just kind of upset the balance of things. That's what he called desolation, things that are just not right. They don't sit with you. And then there's consolation, things that are drawing you in, in comfort. It's good to be aware of that, especially desolation. Like, what is it that's upsetting me? And spend some time introspectively thinking about why that's the case. You just can't shake it. You can't get rid of it. That's the kind of stuff that God has designed us to take to him in prayer and to discuss with others who God has put in our lives. And this person is downcast to the very core of his being. Desolation seems to be left and right 
So he repeats the refrain, why are you so downcast? And in fact, in verse 9 then, as we already made reference to it, his presence experience is one of abandonment. Why have you forgotten me? Are they right? You know, this psalmist isn't the only person who had that experience. Those of you who know the Bible, remember that Jesus on the cross said, why have you forgotten me? To his father, why have you forsaken me? Now here's the good news of the gospel. The present experience may be that you feel like God's abandoned you. Jesus knew the real abandonment of God and he took that on and he did that so that when you start asking the question, have you forgotten me? You know what he says? Look at me. I died on the cross for your sins and no, you have not been forgotten by God. When you start doubting, why have you forgotten me? Look to the God-man, Jesus, who knew the true being forsaken of God. That's where your heart's supposed to turn. So even this psalm is pointing us forward to Christ to say, no, he hasn't forgotten, but let's face it. Our eyes grow dim sometimes, and we stop looking at Jesus and start looking at ourselves and start wondering if this thing is really true or not. So part of why we get here together is to remind ourselves that yes, it is, but also to recognize this is the normal, even Christian experience, follow Christ. We struggle. Here's our ideal state, and we're singing these songs. All my life long, I've panted for a drink, but now I've found him. I'm satisfied. And that's true. You want to be there, but you might in your heart be saying, I'm desperately dry and weary. So is it false to sing those things? No, you're talking about where you want to be, and God is meeting us in that space just by being here, you're saying, I'm open to God's encounter. And that's a good thing. And so we say those and we sing those. And God works in concert with the Spirit to draw us closer to those two things. But still, there is a gap between that, right? The ideal state and what we're presently experiencing. And so even in this psalm, the psalmists are talking about at least a little bit, what do we do with the gap between this ideal thing and my present experience? What do they do here in this psalm? Now, this doesn't describe everything you can do, but in this song, they say a couple of things. First is remember. In verses 4, 6, and 7, you know, he's been talking about tears. He's, this song, been my food day and night. So what does he do? In verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. He's pouring out his soul to God. This is really where I am. And what does he do? He thinks back to the past. And he remembers times when he was going with all the other people to the house of God, he was the, the leader. He was the worship leader up front saying, come on, let's go back. Let's pray. Come on, everybody. Sing a hallelujah. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And he's excited and he's, you know, he's up there dancing and, and, and he was the person leading all the praise. And he's not in that space right now. But he remembers when that was the case. He looks back. The Bible does a ton of looking back. Look back to the Exodus. Remember that you were freed from your bondage. You've got to keep looking back because now you feel like you're in shackles. But you've been set free. Look what God has done in history and space and time. And not only in his people, but in your life as well. Because if you're a follower of Christ, there was a time at one point in your life when you knew that you were set free from captivity. And now you're following Jesus. And though that love may seem cold, it was real. And you've got to look back and remember. That's part of why we take stock and say, what have you done over the course of my life? Because sometimes our sight isn't beyond the fa our hand. You look back and you see, oh, well, here's what God's done in me and in my local community and in my nation and in my world. 
in his church from all history. You got to remember that. Because right now, this person doesn't seem to be leading the festal throng, if that's what it was. Festive throng. When's the last time you led a festive throng? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just, and some of us are like that. We come through these doors. Some of you are just on spiritual highs. You're close to God. You're meeting with God. Your verses one and two, you're thirsting. And some of you are the rest of the verses. Are you here, God? I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. I can't tell that you're working in any. That's why we gather together. To, to, to remind us that these stories are all real. They're God's weaving together and we walk through this, pointing each other forward, but we remember, we backward look and we reflect on past joy as we saw in verse four. These things I remember. I used to do that. But we also reflect on God's per current presence and his providence. This is what the psalmist does when he says, why so downcast in verse five? My soul is downcast with me. Therefore, in verse 6, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. These are places that are physically not in Jerusalem. He's remembering when he used to go to Jerusalem with all the people, praise God, but he's in a completely different place. But he can still praise God from that place, even though he's not there. God is everywhere. You might be in a mountain that's hitherto unnamed in the Bible, and God's still there because he's present currently with you. Not only proximity, but think about time of day as he goes on. Verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. A prayer to God in my life. He is always there. So this psalmist is saying, remember what God's done. Remember that he's with me wherever I go. Those are two things that you can do when you feel like you're wandering in the desert and your tears are your food, remember. And also remember his providence. I mean, look at verse seven. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's going through a hard time and he says, where is this coming from? From God himself in his providence. He's, he's using this time. He's, he's not saying, God, you've lost control. He's recognizing God is with him through all things. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like if you've ever been to a beach and the waves are breaking over you and they're, they're thrashing you and maybe that's what you feel like. I don't know. What do we do with that gap? We remember, we look back, but also we hope. In 5, 6, and 11, we forward look. We don't just look back, but we look forward. That's what hope is, right? Hope is being certain about things, it's very similar to faith, that are yet to come. Where are your expectations? What are you hoping in? What, so you look back, but then you also look forward. He says, why are you downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. And here I think he's recalibrating. He said, maybe my hope has been misplaced. Maybe my hope has been in what God can do instead of in God himself. Put your hope, in, maybe my hope has been in finances. Or how my kids turn out. Or what kind of marriage prospects are available to me. Or employment opportunities. Or things that have been taken away. What is my hope in? He says it's got to be in God. Because guess what? All those other things change. But he never does. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a bus. And there were a couple of guys who were having a not-so-private conversation. 
um, I think they were trying to share their wisdom with everybody else around, and they were talking about relationships. And uh, they were saying, this guy was, one guy was speaking to another, kind of an older man. I'd say he was maybe 50, speaking to a 20-something guy. And they were talking about relationships, and he said, look, money doesn't grow old, grow old but women do. That's what he said. So he said, so here's what I'm telling you. You get married, because this guy was in a relationship. He's like, make sure you have two separate accounts. Because when it doesn't work out, she's going to go for all your money. So you just protect all that you have. She's going to grow old and saggy, but that money will still be freshly spent later on. And I was just thinking, and this was like sage advice from an older man to a younger man that he was passing on. Now, nobody asked me my opinion, and I, I didn't share it. But I was processing this actually with my 16-year-old son later, and I said, it was interesting as I was listening to think about what, what these people value. So what this person values is money. Doesn't value relationship. Because if you value relationships, yes, that woman gray old, may, may grow old, and by the way, so do you at the same rate. <laughs> it actually maybe faster, you know, historically, who knows. But, but what you, if you value relationship, that old, being old, is beautiful. You want to, to grow old in, in, in a way that you're cherishing each other. So, and guess what about that money that there forever that never grows old? It can, it can go like that. It can disappear faster than the blink of an eye. This person's living, and I just want, you know, we've got to start thinking about why do we believe these things? What's that person hoping in? Stopping in money, which ultimately is what? Pleasure, I guess. Access to whatever he wants to do which can disappear quick. What do you want to invest in? What are you putting your hope in? Here's the thing. Relationships are a great thing. The Bible holds up relationships. But these human relationships, even so, if your whole hope is built around a physical person, there's no guarantees there either. The Bible says put your hope in God. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He always has been, always will be. And we know the heart pool, right? It's not to diminish the value of relationships. It's just putting it in proper perspective. There's a greater love behind it. The reason we seek or desire relationships is because our souls are built to be in connection. And the physical relationships we have are good reflections of the deeper heart cry to be in relationship with God himself. Well, that's what the Bible says. And that's what, that's what this psalm is kind of getting toward as well. My hope is in God. So that's why the psalmist says, when can I meet with this God? What am I doing to cultivate that? I do think triads, Nick, you did such a great job describing it, are a great opportunity for us to cultivate that. And even when you're not desiring it, for other men to say, hey, brother, I've been there. Sister, I've been there before. And here's, here's the living God speaking in this moment to as we're going together, putting our hope in God. And looking back and seeing what he's done in our lives as well. Well, that's what this psalm says. And I want to share just briefly too, since you gave me July off, to validate that I actually learned something in that time. Uh, and, and, you know, to make sure you continue to grant that to me. So just to, to share very briefly about what God is teaching me, you know, as I took, took that, that period of rest as well. Um, and it relates, it relates a bit to this psalm as well. I mean, one, one of the things is how much I'm still learning about myself. I'm, 40, I'm 46 years old, okay? Can't change that. Born in 1971, that's who I am. I, you know, I, 
I disparage age sometimes, even though I know it's a God's good gift to us. I'm trying to, trying to accept who I am. And I, I'm trying to realize how much I still have to learn about God. And part of the way that, that spills over is giving people the space to learn as well. Those who are younger than me and having grace. And giving myself space to grow, too, as I learn. I've learned a lot, even just in planning this church, about the, the kind of darker parts of my own heart. Um, I, I know for a fact, I, knew, I know for a fact before I planted this church, for a fact that I didn't struggle with control. I did. I did. I just saw it more now. You know, wanting to, things to go according to my plan instead of God's. Instead of being content with whatever he brings. People come, go, vision comes about the way I think it's going to, not. And it's not to, to, to separate myself from the emotional responses of that, but just being willing to say, oh God, okay God, whatever you want to do, I'm pursuing you passionately. And that's really what I've learned is that, and I, I said something about this a little bit earlier too, I, I feel like for the past couple years I've been pursuing Redeemer Church and not Jesus. You know, I've been, it's easy for me to pursue ministry success, which is measured, unfortunately, in very numbers terms, budget, people. It's so subtle, and it's easy for me to get into just being focused on that, and I'm not sure I can quantify it. Some of you may understand what I'm talking about. Instead of just focusing on Jesus, and yes, pursuing the vision passionately he's given me, but here's what happens. When you start pursuing these other things, you lose sight of Jesus. And you know what that's a recipe for? What? A disaster. Sure, it's all kind of chaos, disaster, burnout. See, my, my pursuit, when you start pursuing these things that are in and of themselves pretty good things, instead of the one who gives them, that's your soul's in peril. And I, for the past couple of years, I'll be honest with you, I feel like I've been going more through the motions. It's not totally like that, but I've lost a little sight of Jesus. I'm just confessing to you that this month I saw, I'm not asking when can I go and meet with God just so I can go and meet with God. I'm asking that question so I have a good sermon illustration <laughs> or, 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 or a clever way to communicate something to somebody, see? And those things aren't bad in of themselves, but if that's the goal, I'm a little misguided. And I, I confess to you, I feel like I've been there. It is very challenging for me when I'm preparing a lot of messages, not for all of life, to be what could be a possible sermon application or something. Just to seek Jesus, God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When can I go and meet with God, the living God? And I feel like I've been just saying, when can I go and meet? So that. And usually the when can I go and meet is something like a triad preparation so that I can be well prepared. And I'm just confessing with you. <laughs> and, and that's not good for the overall health of the church or for my own soul. So I'm asking you to keep praying that I would be passionate for Christ and that from that would flow a passion for his church and his bride. Not the other way around, see? That's one thing that I've learned. And that comes over into trust issues. You know, my trusting God, not just the ministry, but with my family, with, with how things go, with my life, with anything. So I need to be nurturing my own walk with God. It's interesting, this psalm, the way it relates is, here's this guy saying, I remember when I used to go do that. 
You know what? You can't run on memory alone. <laughs> it's good to remember, but if all of your stories about interacting with the living God come from 10 or 20 years ago, you got to start asking yourself, why is that the case? See, God is the living God. He is present. He's working now. And if you have no fresh encounters ever, it's a good, good time to stop thinking. Have I, have I gotten off kilter a little bit here? What, what am I focusing around? What am I worshiping instead of God? The things he gives me? My pet ideas, whatever the case may be. I've also learned from this and I need to wait on God. So I am a passionate guy who responds quickly to situations. And one of the things God has taught me in the past few years is to just, you know, take a step back and let, let God do some work instead of you. <laughs> and this may not be your issue. I'm just telling you mine. I respond quickly to situations instead of giving space for God to work. There was a situation that happened pretty soon even afterwards. Just like, just wait. Let God do his work instead of me coming in and fixing it. And my fixes don't always work out so great. And I just have to be patient and wait. Let God do what he wants to do instead of just rushing. See what happens. This is just personal confession time. I run and I fix everybody's problems. It gets tiring for one. And I'm learning more and more, partially because of age, to embrace my limitations and say, that's okay. I can't get to everything. I'm not going to be all things to all people. This church is not going to create every program for every single person in the suburbs of the United States of America who wants a program for this particular person. I can't do it. I'm tired of doing that. This is who we are. If God raises you up to do something, hallelujah. But I got 24-7 just like you do, and I can't do it all. And if God moves a leader out of a place and there's a gap here, well, then we'll have to wait for him to provide. Even though sometimes I have. And I end up burnt out. I've also learned the benefit of rhythmic rest. Because I tend, I tend to be, I think I can tend towards, you know, just activity all the time, and so I burn out. And I need, I'm trying to recommit to God has put in creation a day of rest to stop doing what you're doing, not just because, you know, he thought it might be a good idea, but because he created us that way so that these days we can be really productive. This day you rest, you take a break, take a breather. And I've been really bad at doing that. And it's not fair to you and it's not good for my soul. I'm trying very hard to put more rhythmic rest instead of just waiting for 11 months for July. You know, that's not good. I mean, it's certainly not good if you the first day back, you're like, now how many more weeks until I get back to July? <laughs> now that's an indicator that I need some rhythmic rest. God has built it into the calendar for us. And I wonder if you're availing yourself of that as well. <clears throat> and then the last thing is just how hard but important our vision is. And this vision that we have to become a multi-ethnic church of influence, it's not easy. Everything is working against us toward that end. But God is bigger than the everything working against us. If God's not in it, then I'm not, I'm not interested. We've got to have space for God to show up. And I think that our vision allows for that. And you're part of that. And I'm grateful for you being here. And I want us to keep pushing toward the vision that God has given us and asking what's my role in it. I'm just committed to continuing to do that. So look, look forward in a, in a week or two. Um, we are going to be sending out a letter 
the leadership team met and prayed. We set some key objectives for this calendar, this ministry year upcoming that we're going to be pursuing. And we've written those out. We want you to be aware of them and think how you might participate. And on the back side, it's going to be just kind of a look back at how God worked in Redeemer. We'll send that to you in the mail, so look out for it, and we'll put it out here on the table as well so that we can reflect, but also, looking backward, look ahead for what God is driving us to in the year and the year to come. Sound good? So thanks, thanks for diving into that psalm, for listening to a little bit on the end there of just kind of what God has been teaching me, and uh, hopefully you're enthusiastic about what God so I feel energized at the moment. I don't know. It's like one of those things where you go off on some retreat and you get great rest. You know, you come back well rested and then within three days you got, you're exhausted again. I mean, I know I can't just like, so I want to keep this fresh. You know, I want to keep praying that God, had, uh, that I learned some of these things that have been tendencies in the past that I'm going to probably lean toward and, and hopefully be more passionate for Christ himself and get some of that rhythmic rest along with you in the days ahead and see what God's going to do. Father, would you...